Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's innovative hidden screen folds away when closed, keeping it clean while bringing in a ton more sun. Choose 0% financing for 72 months or a free upgrade to the hidden screen on our 250 series. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us on a warm Tuesday afternoon. This is one of those programs that I think at some point in time over the course of the next three hours... I will find something to talk about that you will agree with me on, and there might be some stuff that you disagree with me on. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that there will be something that almost everybody disagrees with, but that's okay. It, what, it is what makes life interesting. We'll also keep you updated on some of the traffic issues that are going around. Let's get started. Stephen Colbert. Anybody know who Stephen Colbert is? And Let's see. Looking out over the audience, maybe about half the hands go up. Stephen Colbert is... One of the he's he's a late night host on on CBS and he's a very very liberal comedian. He he made his bones on the the Daily Show with John Stewart and now he he runs his his own TV show on on CBS. So here's what happens on Thursday. He's he's got a crew of seven people and one of the characters that appears on the show is this this puppet and they have somebody who goes out with the puppet and they ask questions and things like that. It's one of the recurring bits. So. They come up with the idea that let's, what we want to do is we want to do a bit about the Republicans on the, at the January 6th committee hearings. Okay, and we're going to make the Republicans look bad. So they set up interviews with a handful of Democratic congressmen. This is last Thursday. And they make an appointment and they go out to the offices. It's not the Capitol, but it's the cap, it's the offices, the congressional offices. I think it's called the Longfellow Building that's adjacent to the Capitol. But it's, it's the Capitol offices. And as you might expect after January 6, 2021, people are a little bit concerned about security, right? Matter of fact, for years and years, my guess is at your place of business, People are kind of concerned about security. For example, here at Good Karma Brands and WTMJ and Radio City, if we have guests that come in, they have to check in at the front. They have to get badges. And, you know, if it's your guest, you have a responsibility to escort them through the the building. The idea is nobody thinks it's a good idea to let people just kind of wander around unattended. All right. And those are the rules that are kind of explained. So anyhow, here's what happens with Colbert's crew. Sends them over. They do interviews with a handful of Democratic staff, well, Democratic congressmen who are involved in the January 6th committee. That, that's fine. And then those interviews finish and the staffers apparently just start wandering around the office buildings. And at least some of the reports say they're, they're like banging on, on the doors of Republican congressmen and things like that. So the Capitol Police find them wandering around. They are unaccompanied. They, they don't have visitor passes. They're not supposed to be there anymore. And so the Capitol Police toss them out. Okay, all right, so far, I, I, I understand they're just kind of, they were there, they were there legitimately, they should have been escorted out, but all right, that, that, that kind of stuff happens. The Capitol Police find them, and they, they toss them out of the building. Now, if it had ended there, it would have just ended there, but that's not what happens. Well, they decide they want to go back, 
and, and they want to shoot more stuff and they want to bang on more doors or whatever. So they apparently reach out to the aide, an aide for one of these Democratic congressmen that they've interviewed, and the guy comes and he lets them back in the building after they've been told that they have to leave. And they don't have the proper authority. So the aide lets them back in the building and then they just start wandering around this office building for it appears to me they're there for four to four and a half hours wandering around the building and they're shooting things they're in all sorts of unauthorized areas but they're oh we're, we're from cbs and we're from stephen colbert and they're we're doing our puppet thing and they're shooting all the, this film and they're wandering around unintended unattended unsupervised in areas that they're not allowed to be in Finally, about 8.30, Capitol Police, who've already tossed them out once, find them again and and toss them out a, a second time. And now they're under investigation. Capitol Police said they got a, call, a report that there was a call for a disturbance in the Longworth House office building about 8.30. Seven individuals were unobserved, unescorted, without congressional IDs. The building was closed to visitors, and those individuals were determined to be part of a group that had been directed by the Capitol Police to leave earlier in the day. They have now been charged with unlawful entry. It is a criminal investigation, and it might result in additional criminal charges after consultation with the U.S. attorney. Well, okay, last night on on his show, Colbert kind of sort of minimized this as he explains it. He says, well, you know, he said, well, this is it was distressing for for the film crew. uh, And, you know, but, you know, everybody behaved in a professional fashion. Which I guess my first response is, what do you mean you behaved in a professional fashion? They were tossed out of the building the first time. They essentially, knowing that they weren't supposed to be there, they were admitted back into the building by a Democratic congressional aide who probably should be fired at this point in time. And then they wandered around the building, you know, doing their thing for another four hours, knowing that they didn't have authority to, you know, be there. And Colbert kind of minimizes this and says our puppet's not a threat to, you know, society, etc. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, what these people did was not an insurrection. Uh, there, there wasn't violence. But at the same time, several of the people, and I don't, you can argue how many, who were wandering around the Capitol on January 6th were the, these chaos tourists, the ones who were taking selfies of themselves, who just got kind of caught up in this. Now, I'm not necessarily equating it, but, all right, these seven people from the CBS crew and the Colbert show who decided to go back into the Capitol and wander around filming their whatever they were filming for four hours, of course they are guilty of criminal trespass, and of course they need to be criminally charged, Right. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? I'm Jeff Wagner. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, to me, this is, it, it, you talk about double standards. And see, in this, what happened at the Capitol offices buildings, and this is adjacent to the Capitol. This is like the Longworth con- Congressional Building, which is where all the congressional offices are. But, I mean, it's it's part of the, the Capitol buildings and stuff. So if you're just tuning in, Stephen Colbert, who is a comedian on late night TV and CBS, he sends his film crew out on Thursday, and they want to do kind of a let's mock Republican sort of thing. Okay, that's fine. They have scheduled interviews with a couple Democratic congressional members of the January 6th committee. That's fine. They, they do those, those interviews, and then they're supposed to leave the building. Well, they, they don't 
leave the building. They're they're wandering around. They're filming other stuff. Apparently, they're banging on doors trying to get film of Republicans not answering the doors or whatever. The Capitol Police find them. They toss them out. All right, four o'clock. That you got to leave. You don't have the right credentials. They call up a Democratic aide to one of the congressmen they've interviewed. He lets them back into the building and lets them wander around. And then they're wandering around the Capitol for the better part of four and a half more hours in unauthorized areas without passes until creating a disturbance. And finally, the Capitol police find them. Now they're looking at being charged. But various, you know, offenses include, I don't know, disorderly conduct, but certainly criminal trespass. They weren't allowed to be there. They knew it. They decided to come back because they thought they were above the law and this was going to be funny. And last night, Stephen Colbert kind of mocks this whole thing. Now, look, I understand that this isn't the biggest deal in, in the world. and There wasn't violence. But I guess I have a couple questions. First of all, and a number of our texters are pointing out, if this was a Republican aide who let in Fox News reporters or something, you know, into unauthorized areas to do something like this, this would be a headline story in the New York Times, in the Washington Post. There would be people calling not only for the dismissal of the congressional aides, but of the congressman for not supervising the aides. I guess that's that's number one that occurs. It's kind of like this double standard that exists. I guess my second question is, how was it that these jokers could be allowed to wander around for three or four hours after the building is closed? I mean, this is now like 830 at night before they're finally caught. I guess one of the other scary things that might be worth some sort of inquiry is how can you just wander around these office buildings without appropriate passes with film cameras and doing all this stuff for four hours after you've been already tossed out by the Capitol Police? And I guess that would partly be my question. Have have we learned anything about um have we learned anything about I don't know, security and stuff like that. And look, I I understand these people weren't there to kill congressmen or things like that. I get it. But they weren't allowed to be there. They were tossed out and then they came back and they were allowed to wander unescorted for four and a half more hours. And even if it turns out it was only three hours, who, who cares? They got back in. They were let back in. They knew they weren't supposed to be there. But hey, we're with Stephen Colbert. We're above all this. Jeff, um, there was a reasoning for everything Colbert's team did that day. Plus, I can't imagine Colbert's crew makes a move without him saying it's okay to go back and use this little stunt on his show, saying how unsafe the Capitol is, that, that anybody can still come in there. And then I understand that there's some people, oh, we don't, we don't why should we care about, you know, this, um, you know, who are wandering through. Um, this is the issue that's out there. Um, Jeff, I'm not a Stephen Colbert um, fan. Colbert fan. This demonstrates the lack of security as well as a double standard. Um, I think we should have a primetime investigation. No, it's not worth a primetime investigation, but it is worth having all seven of those people that were illegally back in the Capitol charged by the U.S. attorney, charged with criminal trespass, etc. I mean, so that's it. Here's one of the other things that's interesting. One of our texters points this out. Jeff, they're not charging the Supreme Court home protesters, the folks that are outside um, uh, Justice um, Barrett's house, the folks that are outside the, the house of Brett Kavanaugh, even though it's a clear violation of the law. Jeff, if they're not charging the Supreme Court home protesters, don't charge on them on count on them charging the Colbert crew. I think there's this issue. Jeff, it's rules for thee and not for me. 
No question that there's an element of that that's going on. Jeff, if this was a small group of people that weren't from a television at work, they probably would have been arrested and investigated, moved out in handcuffs. I think at a minimum, I think they should be charged with trespassing and possibly disturbing the peace. Yeah, that's kind of the point of all this. And and, and candidly, I, I understand how people feel about January 6th, and I understand that folks are split over how significant this was. To me, was it more than a dust-up? Absolutely. Did you have a a bunch of yahoos who were there, who stormed into the Capitol? Yes. Did you have a handful of those yahoos who had more serious intent? Absolutely. And all those people deserve to be prosecuted based on what they did and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. There's no question about it. But I guess it is amazing to me in the aftermath of this, with all the stuff going on, that we haven't learned very much. And now you've got film crews who think that it's it's just their God-given right to sneak back into the building or be admitted back into the building when they know they don't have a right to be there and wander around. And it's also fair to ask, how could they wander around for three or four hours after being tossed out without the Capitol Police being around? All right. Political theater in the extreme. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know, it just it, it drives me crazy when politicians pose for holy fi- fi- um, for holy pictures and, and just think we're stupid. All right. Now, if we wanted to meaningfully do something about high gas prices in the state of Wisconsin, I've said this before repeatedly. There's two things that the governor of the state could do right now. He could call a special session of the legislature specifically for the purpose of imposing a gas tax moratorium. Let's say it runs through the summer. Bring the legislature back in session and say this is what the purpose of this is going to be. That would save Uh, It's probably save you 33 cents a gallon. In addition, he could also, as part of that special session, say, I want to repeal the minimum markup law. That would probably save you another 40 percent. That is something that Governor Evers could do, but refuses to do. And the legislature can't act because they're out of session till January without the governor making that call. So the governor has two things that he could do at the special session. He chooses not to do it. So what does he do today? He signs an order banning gasoline price gouging in Wisconsin. Signs an order today saying um, abnormal economic disruption exists due to a disruption of energy supplies and that this poses a serious uh, risk to the economic well-being of Wisconsin. I'm with you on that. Then he says, okay, I'm putting a price gouging ban in effect. And if people sell at unreasonably excessive prices, they can be fined. What a useless step. Nobody has shown any evidence over the course of the last several months that there is any price gouging going on by like gasoline retailers in the state of Wisconsin. They are simply passing on the costs that they get from their wholesalers and from the refineries, etc. This is a completely and totally meaningless action. But Tony Evers wants to pose for holy pictures, claiming he's doing something when, as a practical matter, he is doing absolutely nothing. Governor, if you really want to do something, like I said, sake special session gas tax moratorium that saves people 33 cents um repeal the minimum markup law that's another 40 cents until you do that don't try to tell people that you're serious about getting relief for prices at the pump so very glad to have you with us okay the first part of the program we talked about this stunt pulled by the stephen colbert bunch and the fact that i think that every one of them involved with the 
illegal presence in the state in the Capitol building, or it's actually the the congressional offices building, needs to be charged with a crime. Also, just talked about the political stunt that was pulled this morning by Governor Tony Evers. As a matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I, I, I just sent out a note on this. So Evers, with, with much fanfare, says I I care about gas prices, and it, and it's just terrible. And so I'm signing this order that prohibits price gouging. And if anybody thinks that retailers are gouging prices, they should contact the Department of Consumer Investigation and things like that, because I'm declaring an emergency. Well, okay, note to Governor Evers, this is completely and totally useless, because I don't think anybody has suggested there's any evidence that believes that retailers are price gouging. Matter of fact, if you look around, you know, you see a very, very competitive thing. There's that not that much of, of a swing in gasoline prices between, like, different stations, maybe a little bit in different areas, in part because of reformulated gas or whatever. But there's no evidence that retailers are price gouging. The price increases are because, uh, again, the I think in part the Joe Biden war on refineries has limited our ability to supply oil. Then you add in factors like the difficulty of um, uh, importing oil because of, you know, what's going on in Russia. And and you have these spiraling costs. But there's no evidence that there's any sort of price gouging going on. So this accomplishes absolutely nothing. And as I've said, if Tony Evers were serious about wanting to give you relief, what he'd be doing is calling a special session of the legislature and saying, I want a gas tax moratorium and I, I want to repeal the minimum markup law. That gets you 60, 70, 80 cents in relief right away. But this is just easier. Let's pose for holy pictures doing this. All right. So we've been talking about some of the excesses of the left. Let us switch gears again and Let's talk about the story that caught my attention yesterday afternoon. And I I sent out a tweet on this. Again, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. It's one of these these stories that I find, it just, my head just wants to explode. Eric Greitens, um, he's a form interesting guy, and I, I say that with all the, all the things that interesting means. He's a former Navy SEAL who, for most of his life, was a liberal Democrat. Like Ronald Reagan, although this guy is not Ronald Reagan, sometime around 2015, Greitens had had the, the clouds lifted, and he decided that he was, in fact, a Republican. And in 2015, he ran for governor of Missouri as as a Republican, and he, he ended up winning. He was elected in 2017. Uh, he was elected in, in 2016, November, took over in January 2017. He lasted about a year and a half. He ultimately was, was forced to resign because he was on the verge of being impeached. Um, he had been accused of campaign finance impropriety. He had been accused of sexual assault. It, it was just an, an absolute mess. He was indicted on felony charges of cons- uh, of computer tampering. Um, now, ultimately, all the criminal charges against him were dropped, but he resigned from office June 1st, 2018, when it was apparent that he was going to be um, impeached. And, you know, um, at about the same time, um, his former hairdresser accused him of sexual assault. 
Um, nothing ever really came of, of this, though, but he was out of politics. Well, now he's back, and he's running for the U.S. Senate seat in Missouri as a Republican. This is going to be an open seat because the Republican incumbent who holds the seat, Roy Blunt, he's he's stepping down. He's not running for re-election. So Greitens is back in the news, and there's many Republicans that are running, but at least up until this week, he, he was leading the field. He had, I think, like 36% of the vote in the latest poll I saw, and the number two guy had 30%. So it's a close race, but but he's ahead. So here is the story, and I, I have a link to these two videos, and I think you can still watch them. I don't think they've been taken down from the site I put up there. But he comes up with a couple campaign ads um, involving, well, this is, is his way of getting votes. And he's got two ads that talk about how voters should go rhino, that is Republican in name only, rhino hunting. Um, this, this, is the, this is the way the New York Times describes it. And even though I mock the New York Times from time to time, <clears throat> this is not unfair. Eric Greitens, a Republican candidate for the United States Senate Missouri, released a violent new political advertisement on Monday showing himself racking a shotgun and accompanying a team of men armed with assault rifles as they stormed, SWAT team style, a home in search of rhinos or Republicans in name only. Join the MAGA crew, Mr. Greitens, a former Navy SEAL, declares in the ad. Get a rhino hunting permit. There's no bagging limit, no tagging limit, and it doesn't expire until we save our country. And it's, I I mean, you you watch this ad, and I I just, you kind of shake your head uh, about this, and you think, huh, this is kind of interesting that they think that this is going to be an ad that's going to be successful. Um, he, he'd also posted other video shooting target ads like, we're, we're going after the liberals, etc. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here was my take on this, but I would love to discuss it with you. It seems, it almost seems like there are some Republicans out there who have an electoral death wish. I mean, it is unbelievable to me that a guy, that this guy, who is leading in the polls at the moment, thought thinks an ad like this is a good idea on, on any, any level. I mean, whether it's tongue-in-cheek, and I'm not sure it necessarily is tongue-in-cheek, but in today's day and age, we're going rhino hunting, and here we're going to throw a, a smoke bomb into this house. We've got our sawed-off shotguns. We're, we're, we're looking. There's no tag limit here. We're going after them. 855-616-1620. I'm sorry. This is just bizarre in the extreme. To just give you an idea. Of, of this ad that is being run by the leading Republican candidate for the open Senate seat in Missouri. And again, I've got a link to it if you, you want to see it. It's it's one of those where I said it, it's almost like it's a Saturday Night Live parody, but it's not a, a parody. Okay, so the guy's name is Eric Reitens. In the ad, he's, he's the former Missouri governor who resigned in disgrace a couple years ago. He's flanked by a tactical unit outside a home on a tree-lined street. He whispers, the rhino feeds on corruption and is marked by the stripes of cowardice. 
okay? The armed tactical team breaks through the front door, throws what appears to be flashbang grenades inside. He enters the living room through smoke, um, and he's carrying an assault weapon. It says, join the MAGA crew. Get a rhino hunting permit. There's no bagging limit, no tagging limit, and it doesn't expire until after we save our country. <laughs> what is the matter with this guy? Again, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal. How can you look at this thing and say, is this guy all there? That in today's day and age, that that we think, okay, this, this is the kind of ad that we're going to run. And I guess it, it also, this, this is what he thinks is going to appeal to the, the base, I guess, that here, let's, let's, that you don't agree with me, let's go hunt all these people. And I understand it's... It's violent imagery, and I hope he's speaking figuratively, but Lord only knows. But this idea that you think that this is the kind of ad that is actually going to help you win the election. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Danny. Danny, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Oh, gosh. I I laughed my head off when you mentioned the story just because I thought, okay, number one, which Harvard graduate came up with that idea? Yeah. And then the idea that he actually approved it, it's like, okay, you don't... Yeah, he didn't just approve it, he participated in it. He he participated in it. It's not even just Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's his voiceover. You know, he's in there front and center with the gun and the flashbang grenades and all that stuff. It's like, wow. And, And the problem that I see here is that it's like, okay, there are people that eat Tide Pods. So how do you know that, you know, some wacko isn't going to say, hey, you know, that's a really good idea. I, I, and you, all of a sudden he's going to strap on his hunting gear and, I, I you know, you, Cheney. I, uh, you know, Danny, thanks for the call. That's look, and I, I think I guess my response is and, and that's that's why, like when I sent out a link to this on, on my Twitter account at Jeff Wagner 620, it was who thinks this kind of stuff helps? There is, I think, a concentrated effort, which is in many respects, I think, unfair to, again, demonize conservatives and portray every conservative out there as just some some completely right wing whack job. I, I get that. And I, I fight back about on that on a daily basis. But then you get stuff like this. And I, so you're almost kind of speechless, like, okay, really, th- this is the guy's idea, and this is how he thinks he's going to get votes, by, by not just saying, hey, I'm more conservative than my other candidates or, or whatever, but here, we're, we're going to go rhino hunting and no bag limit, no tag limit. And given all the issues that we're dealing with with gun control, and this is, again, this is the, the perspective as somebody who is pro-Second Amendment, who, you know, is trying to argue that she a lot of these things the people who want to confiscate guns and stuff like that 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 shouldn't happen but again stuff like this fuels the the things that you hear a lot of times in the mainstream media and from the left that makes you think that that all these folks that are running all these republicans are nuts because this guy by all intent if if you run an ad like this i wonder whether you're nuts at the very least i wonder you know what's going on in this campaign that you think that this is the type of thing that is going to make you stand out. Well, I understand why it would make you stand out, but it's the type of thing that makes you think that this is is going to, you know, get get votes. <laughs> you know, it's it's hey, Jeff. This is the kind of ad you would see on an '80s flick like RoboCop or Total Recall. It's just absolutely unreal. It is absolutely 
unreal. And uh, look, is somebody going to automatically see this and say, oh, I'm really going to go rhino hunting? Well, you, you would hope not. But again, in today's day and age, when we're hypersensitive to violence and we, we talk about, okay, why does this stuff occur and how can we stop it occurring? I know running an ad that promotes, at least on its face, shooting, and I understand it, the guy said, well, you, nobody would take me literally. But at the same time, if you want to argue, hey, I'm more conservative with this and I'm not going to be a Republican name only, I, I get it. Aren't there a million ways that you could do it without using this type of imagery? Now, I don't know if it's going to work or not. The other problem with this is even if it helps him win the primary, this is the type of thing and the type of issue, especially given this guy's the rest of his background, resigning in in disgrace, et et cetera, which makes me wonder, for God's sake, can't anybody in Missouri find a better Republican candidate for U.S. Senate than a guy who converted to the Republican Party in 2015, who was who resigned from the governorship in disgrace amid allegations of campaign finance felonies and sexual assault allegations and spousal abuse? Can't you really find somebody in the entire state of Missouri to run for governor in an open seat, which is a very, very important seat for Republicans to hold um, in order? order to retake control of the U.S. Senate. This guy's leading in the polls. Maybe the godsend of this is maybe voters in Missouri are going to look at this, and I'm sure there might be some people who are going to say, yep, that's our guy. But maybe more people are going to look at it and say, this guy's just a whack job. And even if he gets the Republican nomination, he's probably going to lose in November, which doesn't get us where we want anyways. Electability is always one of the key things. And if this is the way the guy thinks you get elected, my goodness, um, I, I think that means they're pretty hard up for Republican candidates for Senate in Missouri. And in fairness, there's a lot of people in Missouri, a lot of Republicans who are worried that this nut job, the former governor, might actually win the Senate primary. Because here's here's the deal. It's really pretty much a three-way primary. Like he... the. Real, Real Clear Politics, which is like a, an aggregator of political stories, they, they put together a whole bunch of polls. And if you aggregate the most recent polls, he's pulling on average about 25% of the vote. His second, the, the second challenger is the attorney general who's pulling in about like 21% of the vote. And then there's a congresswoman, um, her name is Vicki Hartzler. She's running, she's getting about 18.3% of the vote. So what's happening is the other two more mainstream, electable, realistic candidates, they're kind of splitting the vote. Between the two of them, they pull about 40%, whereas the sort of kooky, disgraced ex-governor, probably partly because of name recognition, you know, he's pulling about 25%. But the problem is it's it's a three-way plus primary. There's a couple more candidates there. But you've got the two serious candidates who I think would be the more electable candidates. They're running number two and three. So in a plurality situation, hey, you know, they, he pulls 25% of the vote. And even though the other candidates pull 40 or 45% of the vote, it's not enough to overtake him. And this is why I think a lot of Republicans Republicans in Missouri are extremely concerned about what it is that that could, in fact, happen if you end up with a candidate who was forced to resign in disgrace as the governor, who's putting out ads like, hey, let's go rhino hunting, and he sneaks through, which is why a lot of Democrats would love to see this happen, because they figure that he's the easiest one to beat. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Chichi Gonzalez. Not exactly a... Not exactly a, um, a, fa- a family name um, that, that people are aware of, at least. Not a familiar name. He, he's going to be the starting pitcher for the Brewers tonight. I went to the ball game. I, I have a 20-pack of season tickets, and I go to most of those games with my very dear friend, Evan. And, and my wife wants to go to games every once in a while. So we got tickets to last night's game, and, and, and we went. And it, w- it was a great game. Brewers won 2 to nothing. It was incredibly well pitched um corbin burns went seven innings and just did a really good job and then devin williams came in and josh Hader had, had a great time uh the cardinals of course were tied with the brewers in first place but that win yesterday put the uh, the brewers a game ahead just it was very very well played it was a wonderful evening where we were sitting which was kind of behind home plate we were surrounded by all these different cardinals fans but they, they actually i i will say this and i say this without fear of contradiction if you are a Cubs fan, individually, you might be a wonderful person, but collectively, Cubs fans are a bunch of jack wagons. You know, when they come to American Family Field, they're loud, they're obnoxious, they are profane. Now, again, you as an individual, I'm not necessarily singling you out, but collectively, Cubs fans are a bunch of jack wagons. Cardinals fans, on the other hand, at least my experience has been they travel extremely well. There were a lot of Cardinal fans in the stands yesterday, and and they are quite nice and they are quite knowledgeable. So we were we were tenth row behind home plate and, and kind of in the middle. And to my right was a couple who were from St. Louis. He interestingly, in the small world category, he works for KMOX, which is like the WTMJ in St. Louis. And he's a, he was a news reporter there. And he and his wife were in town, and they brought their daughter to look at Marquette. She was looking at colleges, so they decided to catch the game, and they were very nice. And the three people on the other side of us were my, my wife talked more to them, but they they were they were Cardinals fans as well. They were in town. And it was it was an it, it, everybody they. They applauded the good plays on both sides. It was a knowledgeable group. It, it was a very, very fun evening, and, of course, we all went home happy because the Brewers ended up winning. We also went home happy because I was looking at my credit card bill today, and a lot of times you go to a ball game, and you come and you check back, and you look at, man, I can't believe we spent that much at the game. Last night, in honor of Craig Council becoming the winningest Brewers manager the, the beers were $5.64. So Miller Lite, which happens to be what I drink, $5.64 through the fifth inning. I had two. Just had two, but that was, uh, you know, normally that's, so you had those two 16-ounce beers. Normally that's what I would drop for like one beer somewhere along the line. So I, I got out of there relatively cheap. My wife does not drink beer, so she she's a wine drinker. So that's still, <laughs> there wasn't a discount on that necessarily, but still we got out cheaper than we normally did, and it was an absolutely great game. Uh, game two of the series is tonight, but that goes back to Chichi Gonzalez, Brewers, um, Pitching staff sort of been decimated with injuries. You got Freddie Peralta who's out until at least August. Brendan Woodruff who is on a rehab assignment now. Um, Aaron Ashby who's they, they brought up this year, and you know he he's now out at least temporarily with an injury to his forearm. So, Chichi Gonzalez. Who is Chichi Gonzalez? Why haven't I heard of him? Well, okay, his career record: nine wins and twenty three losses um let's see earlier okay so first two years he was in texas 
and he went, I'm just looking at the statistics now, he went 4 and 8. Then 2019, 2020, and 2021, he pitched for Colorado, where collectively he was like 5 and 15, with an earned run average over the last couple years pushing 7. He was with Minnesota earlier this year, made two appearances, and his earned run average was 7.71. So not a lot to suggest that there's going to be a lot of success here, but that's the great thing about baseball. You never know, and sometimes there's a change of scenery, and Brewers will be putting him out tonight, hoping they can get you know a few decent innings out of him before they have to get into the bullpen. So, And, and the Brewers have, have done a great job with what I would call reclamation projects. You you look at this, and you, know, there's, you think, well, it, it might be a rocky night for the Brewers, and I keep thinking maybe I picked the right game to go to. I went last night, and I'm going to go tomorrow with my, my buddy Evan. But, you know, you'll be able to hear the game here, and maybe Chichi, maybe Chichi Gonzalez will, I want to say Chichi Rodriguez, that was the golfer. Chichi Gonzalez, um, maybe he'll be able to pull this through, and maybe he'll be able to surprise everybody, and we're certainly going to be pulling for that. Unfortunately, tonight, no more $5.64 beers. When we come back... All right, the deer, the deal on beers was really good at American Family Field last night. If you live in Madison, there might be an even better deal coming up. I will explain, and we will discuss. 855-616-1620, Julie in Kenosha. Julie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What could possibly go wrong? Let's just give people money, no strings attached. Well, it's interesting. I'm a psychologist, and there's a psychological theory behind this. It's called cognitive dissonance, and it's actually where your behaviors and your beliefs don't match up, and it causes anxiety and depression. So in this situation, it might sound like a good idea to give people money without making them work for it. Mm-hmm. But then the feelings that they're a contributing member to society, their feelings that they're a value to their community, their feelings that they're a hardworking individual, those uh, beliefs don't um, coincide with the behavior of getting free money. Mm-hmm. And it actually increases it actually increases depression in um, our lower income and impoverished people. It actually makes them more depressed. Well, right, because there's no expectation, and it. I guess to me, Julie, I I just remember this. This harkens back to the, the failed days of the welfare state, where we just simply, essentially, rewarded people for not being productive. Let's not answer, ask questions. Let's just give people money, and and it led to, I, I think, a cycle of poverty because you got in this handle, or people just got used to it. And I understand exactly what you're saying. It also created issues about, hey, I don't have to do anything, so I won't do anything. And then you wonder why you're not happy because you're not doing anything. Exactly. Exactly. You really, it affects your self-esteem and you don't feel uh, valued or important to your community. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. I guess, see, I I have some even more fundamental objections to this. I, I think... 
the, the first of all, we as a society have an obligation to take care of those who are the least fortunate. Okay, and, and I think you, there needs to be a safety net. But this, to me, again, it's a throwback of the failed welfare state of the Great Society in the '60s and things like that, where we simply rewarded people f- for not being productive, and that this idea that here we're just going to give you money, no strings attached, and we're going to count on you, you know, doing the right thing. Well, I'm, I'm sorry if it's my money. You know, if it's if look, if it's your money and you decide that you want to go to Ho-Chunk and and spend it or you decide that you want to go out and buy a bunch of beer or you decide that you want to go on a clothes shopping spree and buy all sorts of fancy clothes. If it's your money, go with God that that's your decision. I don't have a right to tell you how to spend your money. On the other hand, if it's taxpayer dollars or in this case you know it's my money and everybody else's money i think that there you have every right to put certain restrictions in and say well look if this money is for example intended to make sure that you and your kids eat all right well then we have every right to say we're going to set up a program to say that this this particular money you know has to be spent on on food I, I don't think that that's an unreasonable sort of position. And if the money is being spent, given to you with the idea that's intended for you to use for food or, or for housing, we think people need to have a roof over their heads. I'm all in favor of that. If that is taxpayer money that is going to help subsidize your housing, well, it should be spent on subsidizing your housing. You, you shouldn't be able to say, well, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going, I know it's money that I've been given because it's supposed to help me pay my rent. I don't want to pay my I rent. I want to, I, I don't know, fill in the blank. I want to do whatever else I want to do with it. Well, no, I'm sorry. If it's my dough that is in part going to do that, I think that the taxpayers in this case have a right to have some sort of controls on it. Now, I appreciate that what they're doing in Madison, which is different than what they're doing in a number of other communities, what they're doing in Madison is is private money. It's, it's money from a foundation. And so if the government wants to dole out private money to people in some sort of progressive experiment to figure out how stuff works out, well, I, that that's okay. I mean, that it's not taxpayer dollars. I don't get to have a control over it. But once it's taxpayer dollars, I think it's, you know, just different. Um, Jeff, didn't we try this experiment in 2020? People just took the money, stayed home, and then they didn't want to go back to work. Exactly. Not everybody, but that is precisely what ended up happening. And it happened, it's happened a couple times over the last couple decades where we've continued unemployment benefits even after employers have been hiring. And what do we find? That there's a lot of people, and I look, I understand this. I mean, if, if you're working... A job that you don't enjoy or you perceive as a dead-end job and you can get paid as much money to not go to work or almost as much money to not go to work as to go to work. I get it. It's human nature. I understand why people are doing it. But we've seen before that it doesn't work. Okay, so in the last segment, we, we talked about this. That they're doing this in Madison with private money. But they're doing it in a lot of other, quote-unquote, progressive cities with public money. The idea is universal guaranteed income. We're going to give people money. 
um, at taxpayer expense with, with no strings attached. You just, just take it. No work requirements. No requirements that you spend the money that's supposed to be for rent assistance on rent assistance. No requirement that you spend money that's supposed to be to buy food for your family on on buying food for your family. This is what we're going to do. And, and that's... That's sort of this theory that actually kind of, I think, cycles back to the great society of the 60s where, here, let's just create this giant welfare state where we create, I I think, a dependency on government. Now, I would argue that we know from what happened in the 60s that that did not work. And by not having work requirements and by just giving people money, first of all, we didn't bring people out of poverty. And secondly, we just created cycles of poverty because there were people who just got used to living on on the government handouts. And we created this this dependency um, culture. All right. I almost never do this. But in today's Wall Street Journal, there's an opinion piece written by Rick Scott. He is a current senator from Florida. And he's the um, he was the governor of Florida for eight years. I want to share a portion of it with you, and then I want to discuss it with you because he's arguing for the complete opposite of what cities like Madison and Austin, Texas, and Palm Springs, and a number of these others are doing. The, the headline in his, his opinion piece is a plan to get Americans back to work. Again, Rick Scott, who's the senator from Florida. The American dream is rooted in a simple principle. If you're willing to work hard, anything is possible. What's troubling is that our leaders have lost sight of this. For our country to thrive, we can't let their toxic plan of increased handouts and getting something for nothing continue. We need to value showing up and going to work. I believe in the American dream because I've lived it. I grew up poor in public housing, and I watched my parents struggle every day to feed our family. My mom didn't have much to give me and my siblings, so she instilled in us the value of hard work. I believe that any able-bodied, working-age adult who receives government benefits ought to work. Let me just read that again. I believe that any able-bodied, working-age adult who receives government benefits ought to work. That means those who receive benefits paid for with taxpayer dollars would have skin in the game and would be contributing to our economy. That's why I'm introducing the Let's Get to Work Act. This legislation would end the current suspension of work requirements for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, that's that's food stamps, for able-bodied adults without dependents, which was put in place at the start of the pandemic. My bill would also expand the current SNAP work requirements to all able-bodied adults 50 to 59 and to parents with children 6 and younger, while eliminating the no-good-cause exemptions that allow states to circumvent SNAP work requirements. Finally, the Let's Get to Work Act would establish work requirements for public housing provided by the Department of Housing and Urban Development, applying the same standards currently in place for SNAP, plus the new standards I've outlined here. It's simple. A job is the best thing for a family. A job brings income, independence, and security. Let's talk about who isn't included in what I'm proposing. Parents of children under six those who care for incapacitated people, and those over 60 wouldn't be subject to work requirements for the federal benefits I'm outlined. 
I'm not proposing getting rid of any current federal benefits. I'm proposing to increase grace periods for parents who fail to meet work requirements from three months to six months in a three-year period. And he goes on and goes on and, and goes on. These are common sense proposals, but I can already hear those on the left shouting them down. The same people who oppose work requirements decided that paying more people to sit at home than go back to work was the best way out for our economy to recover from the pandemic. And then it goes on to say that's not working. For the country to thrive, we need every American who can work to do so. We need as many Americans as possible to have skin in the game, participate in our great system, pay taxes, and not sit at home waiting for a government check. Government-run programs like SNAP and public housing are meant as safety nets for those in need. We need these programs, but we shouldn't create a system that discourages work. And he goes on to argue this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I can almost hear some people's heads exploding. Oh, my gosh, you've got this conservative senator from Florida who, who's actually saying that, you know, people, as a condition of qualifying for, you know, these, these public benefits, people should, people should work. I mean, and now, not everybody, but if you're able-bodied, and you're not caring for small children, you know, the kids are off in school or whatever, yes, you should be required to work as a condition of getting your supplemental assistance, your SNAP benefits, food stamp benefits. And if you want to be in public housing, that's fine, but there should be work requirements. And nowadays, given what's going on in the marketplace, there's jobs everywhere. Now, there might not be the greatest jobs everywhere, and, okay, maybe not everybody gets to sit behind a desk and, you know, type into a computer, but at the bottom line, it it is almost impossible to argue, I think, that in today's day and age, that for anybody who wants to work, you cannot find a job. Matter of fact, the opposite is true. I think for anybody who wants to work, you probably have your choice of five to ten jobs. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it unreasonable? Is what this Senator Rick Scott from Florida talking about, is that unreasonable? And it's the complete opposite of what they're doing in some big cities where we want to give you more money and we don't want you to have to do anything, no questions asked. He's saying no. I mean, people need to work. And, yeah, we're going to help you find jobs, but as a condition of getting the the benefits, the handouts, whatever, we expect you to be working. I think it's a novel idea, and I think it's time, it's an idea whose time has come. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. we just coming back from a break. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just, it, it was such strike, such contrast, because... I was seeing the story out of Madison where they're, we want to give $500 a piece, no questions asked to impoverished families. And then, you know, the same day I see, you know, Rick Scott, who's a senator from Florida, with this opinion piece saying, it, I, I'm introducing the, you know, Let's Get to Work Act, which essentially says, all right, if, if you want the federal benefits, if you want the food stamps, if you want the housing benefits, that, that's all well and good, but we expect a work requirement and that there's no reason, especially in today's economy, why while able-bodied adults, now we're not talking about people who physically can't work, we're not talking about people who have the child care, you got kids under the age of six or whatever, but if you're an able-bodied adult, I mean, you mean to tell me you cannot find a job out there somewhere? 855-616-1620. Alan in Houstonsford. Alan, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, 
I agree uh, wholeheartedly with the the fellow from Florida. If you're going to be getting something, you need to be working for it. Uh, I was raised in a, I'm 75, was raised in a single uh, parent family, and my older brother and I learned the value of working for whatever you got. Mm-hmm. My uh, blessed mother uh, busted her keister to uh, raise two kids without uh, public support and whatever, and I believe wholeheartedly that if you're going to get something, you need to be off your butt and working for it. Well, because there, there's, if you're not, I mean, one of the lessons, Alan, you're old enough to know too, one of the lessons of the great society and the welfare state is simply paying people to not do anything doesn't help them, and, and all it does is it creates this this cycle of poverty that's out there, where it's just it's not only handouts to them, but then their their kids grow up without a work ethic, and then it's it's, it's handouts to the kids, etc. It's you, you got to get people being productive, you got to get people working as a way to help them get out of poverty. Absolutely, and uh, the more you get from the government. The more control the government has over the people, and it uh, it's not working. I mean, uh, you have to work. You have to be productive in in society. And I, right. Thank, thanks for calling. And again, I I understand there's some people who cannot work. I I, I get all, all that. There there's some people who who cannot work, and and fine. And then there's some people who are you know have have issues. Again, you got the child care issues, or you've got things like that. I, I appreciate all that. But this idea that we're going to simply say to people, here, we're going to create a condition where there is no expectation. Now, one of the problems in past years with some of these ideas was when you had a job market that was so incredibly tight. That, that there weren't jobs. And the argument would be, hey, I've applied at, at, and I used to hear it, I've applied at five or 10 or 15 different places and nobody's hiring and nobody's looking for work and what am I supposed to do? Well, okay, I, I understand that, but that's not the world we're living in now. Like I say, walk walk through any you know strip mall at, at any, in, looking for retail people. Um, Everybody is desperate to try to find people who will work. As as a matter of fact, it is a complete and total buyer's market. If you're in the, if you are unemployed right now, or you're looking for a new job, you have an entire array of jobs that are out there. Now, again, some of them mo- might not be the most attractive sort of jobs. I I understand all that, but they're they're jobs and they're they're entry level jobs. For example, I, I've told this story before. I have a I have a very good friend who owns his family now. I think he owns a series of fast food restaurants, a lot of them. And, you know, he was telling me about how people who started, like literally working at the drive through or in the kitchens or whatever, who, if you show up, you learn the job, you've got a little bit going on, how you can move up through the ranks and pretty soon, you know, you're the assistant manager and then the manager or then you're, you know, you're running like a regional thing and how you, you can really, again, if you show up and you work hard, just because you started at what we would say is an entry level sort of position, it doesn't mean that you're going to be stuck in that entry level position the whole time. Now, if you, if, if you don't show up for work 
or you know you come in and you're you're high or whatever well there, there might be some issues with that but for people who have at least some degree of work ethic it, it's it's just amazing how you you can advance and if nothing else okay even if you start at that job that you don't like well okay you work there for a little bit and you use that as an experience then you move up to find something else jeff i absolutely agree with senator scott's plan i also believe when it comes to welfare instead of cutting people off when they get a job why don't they subsidize them to what they were making um if they were getting a thousand dollars a month for the government see i think that that's that's where i think we need to go which is to encourage people to work and rather than rewarding people for not working if we're going to take government benefits and we're going to be spending money i think it should be to help subsidize those people who are working at those entry level jobs etc because we want to encourage them to continue with with the work and continue with those jobs. Jeff, I 100% agree with Rick Scott. There is more to work than a paycheck. It connects people with others. It builds self-worth, and it takes one out of his or her self-centered world. I remember, and, and you probably can too, Think back to the first job you had, and I'm talking about the, the first job besides maybe cutting grass or, or you know shoveling walks or things like that. I vividly remember, I mean, I started working when I was 16 years old, you know, doing, I worked at some retail store. I've told this story before. There used to be a, a Treasure Island store, which was like JCPenney's discount sort of stores, and it was on uh, Brown Deer Road and Green Bay Avenue, Highway 57 and Brown Deer. And I, I worked in the toy department over Christmas time, and I'd, I'd work there after school, and I'd work on weekends, and I still vividly remember, you know, getting that first paycheck, and then every two weeks later, getting those paychecks. And and you'd look at it, and you'd think, boy, somebody's paying me for the stuff that I'm doing. It also, I'd say, man, I can't believe how much taxes they took out and things like that. But it was that value to work that I think instills stuff in people. And it's why this idea, let's move away from this, I just think is really, really bad for this country. Aside from certain holidays, my birthday, my wife's birthday, my anniversary, this is, those dates, take those out, this is my favorite day of the year. Jane Matinier, do you know why this is my favorite day of the year? Uh, Beyond, you know, like the holidays and stuff like that. National Be Good to Dog Day. Well, no, if, if well, I I'd like to think I'm always good to my, my dog. It is the summer solstice. This is my very very favorite day. So for this is it is it is the longest day of the year. Now, whenever I say that, I always have somebody who wants to correct me on our text line. I, I appreciate the days are 24 hours, but what we mean by longest day is there is more daylight hour today than any other day of the year. It stays light till gosh, around here almost like nine o'clock at yeah, night. It's crazy. I, I just we were at the ball game last night, and I mean, it was, it, you look at it's 8:45, and it's still light, and it's just I. I wish every month of the year could be June. I, I just do. I and I understand it's hot today, and I understand it's been cold. But I just I love the month of June around here in every state, but particularly around here in Wisconsin. And I just love the fact that you have these kind of soft, you know, summer nights, and it stays light forever and stuff like that. So today it, it's summer solstice, 2022. Um, this is the first day of summer. Technically, um, it coincides with the winter solstice in the southern hemisphere, and, and it varies a little bit every year. But today, today is one of these days, and I understand it's really, really hot outside. I get all that, and it's going to be hot. But 
bottom line is you got to celebrate the summer solstice and this is one of those evenings where if you've got the opportunity you know after after dinner you know go out on your porch go out on your patio or whatever take your favorite beverage of choice whether it's an adult beverage or otherwise and sit there and just kind of enjoy this and think oh my gosh you know, because especially here in Wisconsin, you you know, if during the winter it gets just there's so few hours of light and you're leaving work at four o'clock or four thirty in the afternoon and it's completely dark and things like that. Just enjoy today because it only rolls around once a year. And once again, today's my favorite day of the entire year. Happy summer solstice twenty twenty two. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. This is, it's a number that you would not want to hit. Um, over the weekend, there were at least five homicides in the city of Milwaukee. And again, going by I, I, the, the police department's crime statistics map that I, I kind of keep track on. I give them credit for putting this up there. Um, Milwaukee now, this is the city of 102 homicides as of well, June 21st. I am willing to, if so anyone wants to correct me, I'm, I'm willing to accept it, but I'm pretty sure I'm confident that this is the earliest that the city of Milwaukee has ever hit 100 homicides. Um, this time last year, year to date and last year was an all-time record for homicides in the city of milwaukee this time last year there were 77 this year 102 um it's just it's staggering what the increase so you know you're talking about well you know do the math you're talking about what 20 you know 25 more homicides this year than last year and last year was an all-time record it's just staggering non-fatal shootings same thing three it's about the same 392 this year 390 last year but the year before that there was only 231 so i mean violence gun violence homicides absolutely through the roof and you know we, we talk a good game and we say well we got to come up with different things to do it but nobody seems to have any great ideas about this except i i talk about how we we have to recognize that little things lead to big things and that's why when you catch people committing crimes you can't just slap them on the wrist you have to say okay we're we're not going to tolerate this and if you're stealing cars well okay you're going to help be held accountable instead of we're going to slap you on the wrist and put you back out on the streets to stop stealing cars and move to carjackings and then you know after you get used to carjackings then you move up to armed robbery then you move up to homicide it, it's just this pattern that's there 102 homicides in the city of milwaukee alone and we're not even halfway through the year it is staggering there, there's another thing I want to talk about on, on this program. I know we talk a lot about the the big crime. We talk about homicides. We talk about the shootings. We talk about the carjackings. But there, there's the smaller crimes as well. And I, I just matter of fact, I, I sent out a, a tweet about this with a link to the story. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Um, it's a story that today's TMJ four had. And it talks about car break-ins. I mean, let me, let me share the, the, the story with you. It's, they say this. Monday was a frustrating day for people living in a Brewers Hill apartment complex after more than a dozen cars were broken into overnight. So this is a complex where the, the parking, it, it's outdoor, 
Okay, so the cars aren't aren't protected. It's not like there's a garage or things. Outside the apartments, shattered glass lined the streets. They, like, broke up in here. My hood was popped, says this woman. She said this is the second time her car was broken into, twice in as many weeks in this parking lot. Now this hardworking server is hitching a ride to work as she works to fix her window again. So that's not cool at all. This is my safe space. I feel we should be safe there. Um, the story goes on to say Milwaukee police said at least five break-ins were reported after 2.41 a.m. Monday morning, and many others had yet to be reported. Uh, they say that Monday night we, sponsored, we saw, would be last night, we saw a cruiser going through the lot. It's just bogus how people have to consistently buy new windows. I've already had a motorcycle stolen from here, and my Land Rover was broken into and totaled. Um, one of the guys say that he was one of the victims on Monday night, paid 500 bucks to fix his window. And so, you know, they're frustrated and they're saying, well, you know, we're talking about the apartment complex. Maybe we need to hire a security guard or something like that. Now, this isn't this isn't a murder. And in these cases, I guess this isn't even car theft. But still, it's somebody who went through and vandalized more than a dozen cars in a particular parking lot. And I presume that they were breaking into the cars, looking to see if there were any valuables in the car or if they could figure out a way to to, to steal the car, whatever. I don't know what the purpose was, but these are the type of stories that almost never make the news because they happen so frequently. It's like, well, well, why is it news in the city of Milwaukee that a bunch of cars got vandalized? That happens you know, every night. And the the question I posed in my tweet, which is the question I pose to you now, why do we continue to allow ourselves to be prisoners to criminals and to criminal behavior? Big crime, little crime, when is enough enough? And and I ask that it's sort of rhetorically, but I, I I look at these different stories and I think why why do we tolerate this? I mean, if you live in these apartment complexes, for example, where you know you you don't you, you don't have the indoor parking, you don't have a garage, you park your car out on the street, or you park your car in the the parking lot in the assigned space or whatever, and 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 you're just it's it's busted into, and the windows are damaged, and this is the second time in a couple weeks, and you got to figure out how you're going to get it fixed, and you don't have your car, so you can't figure out a way to get to work. You're doing all the right things. You're out there. You're trying to make a living. You're trying to get to work. You're trying to raise your family. You're just trying to get by. And yet you have all these criminals that are out there that are just preying on people. And, and we kind of accept this as the norm. And I appreciate it. the response is, well, you know, maybe we're trying to get a petition to hire a security guard. Well, I, look, I got nothing against trying to hire a security guard, but that's not the problem. The problem is you have punks and gangsters and thugs and out of control control people with the impulse control of fruit flies who are out there just destroying other people's property, taking other people's property, and they feel emboldened to do it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. People should not have to live like this. And, and, and there needs to be a call to action. You, you've got a new mayor in the city of Milwaukee. You've got a, a common council. You've got a district attorney who's been pretty much punched out on on dealing with crime for for years. You've got a new police chief. Can't there be some sort of consensus? And that can't that consensus say we've had it 
And they, they used to call this broken windows. You know, little crime leads to big crime, and that fell out of favor because oh well, we were we were stopping too many people and we were arresting too many of this type of person or that type of a person. Well, not arresting this type of person or that type of person obviously isn't working. And what's happened is you have people who live at least in certain areas who allow themselves to be prisoners to criminal and criminal behavior. And you shouldn't have to live like that. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You say to me, okay, Jeff, you know, what? what's your solution? My solution is let's increase the number of cops. Let's arrest everyone we catch doing stuff like this and then let's prosecute them and then let's put them in jail or some form of detention let's teach them that this is not acceptable we haven't been doing that and it's not working and it's just emboldening them and i don't care whether you're 11 or 12 years old or i don't care whether you're 42 years old although my guess is the people that are doing this stuff are closer to 11 or 12 than they are to 40 but yeah you you go through an apartment complex with a crowbar or you know whatever and you're busting out windows and you're going in and you're rooting through cars looking to see if there's valuables that's a big deal it's a big blanking deal and if the apartment complex wants to hire a security guard, that's fine. But they shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't be giving in and allowing ourselves to be the prisoners of criminals. So I ask this rhetorically, but I, I'd like your feedback. You know, when is enough enough? And if if what's been going on, whether it's murders, the big crimes, or the little crimes, like, oh, this is the second week that somebody's windows have been busted out in their you know outdoor parking lot, it, it Big crime, little crime, isn't it time to say we've had enough? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620. I don't know what it was about this particular story that just hit me, because I... I understand we, we talk about the really serious crimes. We talk about the carjackings, and we talk about the 102 homicides in the city of Milwaukee. But there was something about this story on today's TMJ4 that, that just hit me. And it was, it, it, in some respects, it's a little story. Nobody's dead. But for the second time in two weeks, you had vandals on Sunday night, Monday morning, early, like 2.41 Monday morning, who apparently, like, went through this, this parking lot in Brewers Hill. And it's an outdoor parking lot. You know, there's a lot of places are where you've got to sign uh, spots and things like that and and they just they vandalized over a dozen cars busted windows out of the cars and went in and i presumably ransacked the cars looking to see if there was stuff to buy or if they could steal the cars or whatever and and, and you know it was an interview with some of the people that live there and some woman saying this is the second time this has happened in in two weeks and now i'm scrambling to come up with the 500 bucks to replace the window and but even while that's going on now i've got to find you know ways to get to work and stuff it's just it's this little thing and people shouldn't have to live like this and whether it's I, look, I, I understand you shouldn't have to live next to a drug house. You shouldn't have to worry that, gee, I'm going to be standing on the streets and there's going to be some idiot who's going to be driving 120 miles an hour, blowing through a red light who comes up a, on a curb and hits and kills me. Yes, you shouldn't have to be worrying about that. But, you know, decent, honorable, hardworking people shouldn't have to worry that I park my car overnight and, and it's going to be vandalized time after time after time. And, and we don't do anything about this. Um and and or or we say hey put put the uh, put the club on okay we don't your car stolen put the club on well there's nothing wrong with that except 
I mean, people know how to steal cars. That that just slows them down by about 15 or 20 minutes. And, you know, one of our texters says, well, security guards are, are a half measure. And that's exactly right. That's not what the underlying problem is. The underlying problem is we have too damn many criminals that are out there, whether they're juvenile criminals or adult criminals, who just don't think the rules apply to them. And I guess I just think it's way past time for the population to rise up and say, we're done with this. And we don't want these half measures. We want people arrested. We want cops on the street. And then once they get arrested, we want them prosecuted. Yeah, and, and yes, you, you go through a parking lot with a crowbar or a baseball bat and you bust out a dozen windows and you cause five or $10,000 worth of damage to people's property and you steal whatever you can find out of the cars. Yeah, you go to prison. You go to prison for a year or two. And if you don't like it too bad, maybe you're going to learn your lesson. Jeff, I think enough will be enough when tenants stop paying $1,500 a month for rent in the city and move out to the suburbs. As soon as we have a glut of vacancies and the landscape becomes something like a Mad Mad Max movie, and in some areas it almost is now, I'm sure action will be taken, but it might be too late by then. I, right, it, it, exactly. And look, and I appreciate the district attorney's office would say, well, okay, this is easy for that guy on the radio to say he forgot what it's like to be a prosecutor. He's the same one talking about how we've got a 100 homicides and we've got to prosecute them. Yeah, you've got to prosecute them, but that doesn't mean you don't also figure out a way to prosecute the small offenses. This, what is going on in the city of Milwaukee right now, is the best indicator of why abandoning the broken windows philosophy of law enforcement is so devastating. It's kind of like when we came up with the harebrained idea six or seven years ago because we wanted to be politically correct, so we weren't going to, under most circumstances, chase people. Well, what happened? The word got out, people started running, and they're still running to this day. Um, you you got to do more. We, we have to be better. And, you know, look, I, I understand for some people, if you are of a different, you know, economic means and you can live in neighborhoods that aren't crime plagued or you can live in areas that aren't crime plagued or you can live in areas where if there was an outbreak of this type of stuff, there would be a huge outrage and there'd be a huge police response and there'd be a huge response in the courts because the, the citizens wouldn't put up with it. Well, I, I think I, I think a lot of people in certain areas, maybe they feel a little bit powerless to have that happen, but they shouldn't have to feel that way. And I guess this is... It's just one of these things that drives me absolutely crazy, and that's why I encourage you to take a look at this this story. Aikwin, it's little. I get it's broken windows, it's $500 of car damage, but that's if you don't have 500 bucks and that's your car and you don't have a way to get to work or you have to beg and borrow rides and your car has been vandalized and your privacy has been violated in that fashion, it's a big deal to you, and it needs to be a big deal to the community, period. There's a little detail in this next story that, that's what caught me. And it's it's sort of interesting because I understand that you've got the headlines, but there's there, there's a controversy going around involving a Milwaukee public school counselor who apparently came out a while ago and, and um, appeared on April 23rd at a, a rally at, outside the state capitol where she came out against 
transgender students. And she apparently said, not a single one of my students under my blanking watch will ever, ever transition socially and sure as hell not medically. Absolutely not. And then she went on to say, you know, blank transgenderism, blank it. Okay, so there's now this controversy involving whether or not she should be fired for expressing this particular opinion. I, 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 it, I take no position on, on that. I think that there's, I think that that's a, a larger kind of discussion, and I think we do need to recognize that there are a certain percentage of students who, you know, are, are like boys, you know, born, boys born in a female body or, or vice versa. Now, at what point in time that comes into play and who makes those decisions that that's a whole that's a whole different sort of story but anyhow there's this push you've got a bunch of people who are saying this woman should be fired you shouldn't be able to express these types of opinions she's a school counselor she needs to go okay that, that's well and good and they'll sort that out but here's what what caught me at my attention um this group that wants her out has apparently they tracked down where she lived in the city and they have started protesting outside her home, um, leaving chalk messages um, on, including some which are not particularly, you know, nice, that they're chalking on the sidewalks outside her home. So this, this is not even, she, she's not an elected official. She's a woman who works at least for the moment as a school counselor at MPS. And so you have these activist groups that are now showing up at her house and they are protesting, not unlike the people who are protesting at the homes of Supreme Court Justices Brett Kavanaugh and you know Amy Coney Barrett, who you know don't like the fact that they might be prepared to strike down Roe, but they're in violation of federal law. They're they're showing up and they're protesting, and apparently it's causing a huge problem for the neighbors, and they're disorderly and they're making noise and things like that, um, affecting the whole neighborhoods. And even though it's against the law, Merrick Garland's Justice Department chooses to do nothing about it. I, I just look at this and I think. Okay, is this really how you change hearts and minds? By going out to homes and protesting? And is, can't there be a better way? Jane, you will perhaps find this amusing in the category of you, you can't please everybody. So earlier on, I, I got a really kind of hostile text saying, I can't believe you're doing your show and you're not in full wall-to-wall coverage of the, the, the committee hearings, to which I said, well, there, 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 there's all sorts of places you can see that if you want. Hey, you're, you know, it's shameful. Shameful was the word, okay, that, that you're not spending full time. Why aren't you doing that? Oh, okay, fine. So I just got one. Not sure why WTMJ continues to give times to things like the January 6th committee. Shameful, you know that I we have been we have been shamed both ways. I'm just going to speculate that those people are related. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, it just, maybe not. It, maybe not. Maybe I, not. I, it's just shameful. Shameful. It's like oh, okay. Well, that's you know. Look, it's just what what there, there's just different decisions that are made, and so the the, the bottom line is. Is yes, we're, we're not at this point in time. We're not going wall to wall in the January sixth committee. But yes, in newscasts, and if I feel it's appropriate in commentary, I will comment on that, and we'll bring it the news. And that's just kind of how we operate. And if you don't like that, well, shame on us. Go find something else to listen to. Right? It is considered news. It is considered news. Right? A- absolutely. There's no question about it. And I and I understand there's people who disagree with how significant it is and what the purpose behind it's done that, that that's all well and good but you're right it's news and we we bring you news 
And we also bring you like commentary and things like that. All right. When we come back, who do you know wants to buy a car? Stick around. So very glad to have you with us. Um, If you've been following us all afternoon, there's a number of issues out on the roadways, and we're going to continue to keep you updated on that. Perhaps the biggest problem right now is um, the freeway going eastbound. The the pavement is buckled on on, Calhoun Road, and so it's it's just a mess. And Jane will be back with some more updates on things like that. I assume that that's a a heat-related problem, and there's some other problems now with 43 North and stuff like that. We will continue to keep you updated on all that. If you're out and about on the roadways and you've got to get to some places, you might want to keep checking in on that because – you, you might want to consider to take alternate routes as time goes on. Hey, I, I admit occasionally over the course of the last couple of months, I have been a gloomy Gus when it comes to the the problems that have been going on with the economy and the stock market and the fact that $3 trillion in uh, retirement income has just vanished over the course of the last couple of months. And every once in a while, I'll get a text or an email Almost always from people who make their living by selling stocks, but you know, who say, "Oh, you you shouldn't talk about the, these problems." Which I'm like, "Well, explain to me how you cannot, if you do a current event show, not talk about the the stock market when it is in fact cratering and people are watching just huge chunks of their net worth disappear." Well, all right, today stock market um, after a truly truly bleak week last week. Today's the first day it's been open. It was closed yesterday because of the Juneteenth holiday. Dow Jones Industrial Average up over 700 points. That's 2.3%. The NASDAQ bouncing back up over 305 points. So it's not close to recovering all that it's lost this year, but that is a good sign. All right, as long as we're talking about the economy, this is, I'm always fascinated about what we buy and how we buy things. If you wanted to buy an electric car, let's say you wanted to buy a Tesla, there are not Tesla dealerships where you go in and you you sit there and you say, I want to test drive the car and I want to, you know, negotiate a price. No, you you have to if you want to buy a Tesla, you, you have to you have to buy it online. That that's just that's just how you do it. And then, you know, you make your arrangements, you do it online. There's a couple other electric car manufacturers nowadays, Lucid Motors, Rivian Motors. If you want to buy an electric car from them, you you, you have to do it online. Now, if you want to buy a conventional automobile or you want to buy one from the big three automakers or whatever, the business model is still that you go into a dealership. And you, you sit down with the, the car salesman, etc., and you maybe you test drive a car that's on the lot in many cases, which you end up – Jane, do we have an update? Do we want to do an update first? Okay, do it after the break. Okay, so you, you go into the, the dealership now, and in, in many cases, because there's such a shortage of inventory, maybe you don't purchase a car on the lot. Maybe you order you know, a car. You say, okay, this is this is what I want. I want that Toyota Rav Four, and I, I want a new one. And uh, this is these are the bells and whistles I want on it. And you order it, and it it gets delivered to the dealership in a month or two months or whenever it is, and you pick it up and you do that. But you know, you're you're ordering the car. There is a real interesting story in the New York Times about how more and more auto dealers are looking at 
selling cars online. Now, right now, there's some limitations. Many states have laws which say you, you can't do that. You, you can only buy cars. You can't buy them like directly online from the manufacturers. You, you have to you have to go through a local franchise you know dealer. So that that's the case. Now, some states don't have that particular requirement. The National Automobile Dealers Association, you hear a lot about them. You know, they're saying, look, they, they oppose the direct sale of cars. They say, look, you know, we matter of fact, we think Tesla should be required to use dealers. You know, the argument is, look at how important these these manufacturers are and the car dealers are to, to every city. You know, every city in America or, you know, close, even small towns, close to other small towns, they've got car dealerships and things like that. Imagine what you would do to the economy if you no longer, you know, had car dealers. And yet there's a lot of people who are saying, look, we, we buy all sorts of stuff online and if you if you wanted to go and you wanted to build your Toyota RAV4 online why shouldn't you be able to do that from from the dealer and maybe the role of the local manufacturer would be just to to give you delivery on that our number is 855-616-1620 which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line do you think you should be able to buy cars online and is that the wave of the future Going back to what I was talking about before we we took the break, this is a right now under the laws of most states, it is almost impossible to legally purchase a car from uh, the manufacturer directly. You've got to go to the local automobile dealer. Tesla has a different model. Tesla, you order the car online, and then what happens is they either deliver it to your home, or they have a they have like 160 um, what they call service centers across the country. Now these aren't dealerships per se, although you can go in and you can take a test drive on them. But then you go pick up the car, and then you can take the car back if you have problems with them. So that's the the model that's out there. This is getting a lot of pushback, of course, from the traditional automobile companies, and certainly from the auto dealers and one of the arguments they're making is hey, hey look if, if you if you start killing off auto dealers and, and you stop giving us the ability to sell cars and stuff you're just going to devastate the the economy of of different businesses i i guess the, the way i look at this i don't think we're ready for this now i, I don't think the infrastructure is set up right now i i do think there is going to be pressure to do this moving forward. And I think, you know, just like the Internet has changed the way all sorts of businesses operate, I think this is something where, you know, auto dealers are going to have to start looking and saying, okay, what what does the future look like, you know, for us? Because I think this is an idea, if not today, and it's not going to be today and not tomorrow and not five years from now. But at some point in time, I, I could see this evolving where automobile dealers are are more as opposed to just the car sales they're equally as much into delivery of cars or alternatively into the servicing of vehicles um jeff i re- i actually bought my dodge ram online a couple of years ago from a local dealer we agreed on the price on the phone i just went into the dealership to sign the contract i found it very convenient um jeff if dealerships disappear 
where will these online cars be serviced? It's not like every mechanic has the necessary skills or diagnostic tools to repair today's autos, right? And that's what the dealers are saying. They're saying, hey, look, if you take away our ability to, to make money and sell the cars, I mean, who, who is going to, to service them? Now, I, I think, again, like many things, I wouldn't be surprised to see this evolve, perhaps, Will there be traditional auto dealers? I don't think there's any question because I think for a lot of people, they would not be comfortable, you know, going in and just ordering the cars online. And, and candidly, I'm not sure I'd be comfortable with that as well. Now, I researched the cars online, and so I have a pretty good idea of what I want, what I don't want when I go in with the car. But I, I do... I do like having that dealership to deal with, and especially if there's some problem with the car once you get it, you have, you know, you have that, that ability to connect. But this is, it's the Tesla model, and there's a number of people who want to try to get the Tesla model, you know, extended across the country. Is it going to happen anytime soon? Probably not. But if I was in the automobile industry and I was one of these people who made my living, you know, selling cars, it's at least something that's in the back of my mind thinking, what What's the future going to look like? And is this the future?